my journey with the breath actually started with learning to freedive. With a couple of weeks training, you could go from learning to, I had maybe like a 45 second breath hold to up to about six and a half minutes with some kind of meditation and some training. Hey friends, what's happening? Welcome back to the Breath Circle podcast. My name is Connie Bazalski and over the pond in New Mexico is Mr. Phil. And on today's episode, we have our good friend Johnny Miller. And Johnny is an entrepreneur, he's a startup founder, he's a TEDx speaker, he's so many different things. He also hosts the podcast show Curious Humans. Um, Johnny and I are working on some projects together and uh, Phil, Johnny and I were also enrolled in Michael Stone's um, Breathwork Practitioner program this year. So yeah, we just kind of got together and had a really awesome chat. Um, and I know Johnny, we actually met uh, in Bali last year. Uh, we'd connected on Twitter before and then I came to a talk that he gave in a co-working space in Changu and loved it, said hi afterwards. And then we kept on running into each other all over town and eventually, yeah, became friends <laughs> and uh, started projects together. And I don't know, to me, Johnny's a really special human. I'm really stoked uh, about this episode, this conversation that we get to share with you. And um, yeah, Phil, what, what did we get into? It was so juicy. Thank you, Connie. What's up, guys? Good to be back on the mic and just so excited to share this conversation with Johnny Miller. You know, I'm going to keep this very brief because it's uh, pretty much impossible to capture everything we talked about in a nutshell or even in a couple sentences. Um, but I will say, now that you've heard that little intro clip from Johnny, that we got into free diving a little bit, which uh, was a really foundational piece to Johnny's breathwork journey. And given Johnny's creativity and curiosity, we, we really had some interesting chats around breath recipes and breath patterns, the stacking of breath exercises. Johnny has come up with some fascinating little uh, personal breathwork exercises that he shares on the podcast, including the Dim Hof breath and the Espresso breath. And we talked about box breathing and the triangular breath and personalizing the breath and getting curious with it and, and really starting to see what flows and fits um, is such a, such a useful part of the breath exploration. And hopefully for those of you who are still uh, finding your breath flavor and your flavors of breath work, you'll find this conversation to be inspirational. And for those of you who don't know Johnny and are interested in learning a bit more about what, uh, what he's faced in his life, I really encourage you to watch his TED Talk. It's called The Gifts of Grief. And he goes pretty deep into how he lost a partner actually a few years ago to suicide and how the suicide was driven by mental illness and how our society's just lack of resources on that front are uh, becoming very clear to him um, in this lifetime and the work that he's here to do. Um, revolves quite a bit around breathwork. So it was a great episode, guys, and really encourage you to tune in to the whole thing. Tell us what you think. Get in touch with us. Email us. Follow us on Instagram at The Breast Circle. And we are so excited. Let's jump right in, guys. Here we go. 
Welcome to the Breast Circle Podcast. Mr. Johnny Miller is in the house. It's great to be here. Thank you, guys. Yeah, good great to, to have see you, you Johnny. Mm, so we basically have Germany, we have Mexico, where Johnny's at, and then we have uh, New Mexico in the United States. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So why don't we just dive in with? Um, well, I mean, all three of us are really passionate about the breath, obviously, and breath work. But maybe you could share a little bit, Johnny, about, you know, what excites you about the breath? Um, how'd you get into it? How has it transformed your life? Um, mm. <laughs> okay. Uh, how long do I have? <laughs> you know, however long it takes. <laughs> yeah, I was just reflecting on this. And I think that for me... My journey with the breath actually started with learning to freedive, um, similar to James Nestor. This was a couple of years ago. And I was kind of fascinated by this idea that with a couple of weeks training, you could go from learning to, I had maybe like a 45 second breath hold to up to about six and a half minutes with some kind of meditation and some training um, with this yeah. really great, with this amazing instructor in Bali. And his name was Sam and he mentioned on the side that he'd also done this, um, this training called holotropic breathwork. And I'd never heard of that before. And I was like, Oh, that sounds interesting. Like, I like the sound of that. And he was like, Oh, I can, I'll take you through a, I'll take you through a journey. And so I remember we were lying on me and my friend on two yoga mats in his like freediving training place. And he put on this music and he was like, okay, just breathe really intensely for 45 minutes and see what happens <laughs> like that that was like the extent of the of the introduction and um i was really skeptical i, I didn't really think anything in particular would happen and right around about 20 to 25 minutes in i just i, I got this extreme kind of technique this extreme tensing and at some point i think the music shifted and i just kind of dropped into this feeling and it was this unbelievable unbelievable state of very kind of comparable to the plant medicine experiences that i'd had in the past and it brought up memories for me of um being with my my ex-partner who who was no longer with us and i had this really profound kind of very healing experience um that kind of came out of nowhere and i was in you know tears were streaming down my face and i, I was kind of moving between this like tenderness and this feeling of ecstasy and this like bright white light that I think is associated with DMT releases and I came out the other side like whoa like what what just happened <laughs> and so, so I think that for me that was that was like the sign that like there is there is something here there is something here that I don't fully understand that I want to explore more of and so in the in the months and the years that followed that i think i just came to be really curious about breathing and the different ways that it's it's used and and for me i i use it every day i used it just about an hour ago before a meditation practice to kind of still the monkeys in my mind and to to calm down my nervous system and this is something that you know we've all talked about a lot and it, it's just so interesting to me that something that is so obvious and something that we do every day and something that we take for granted can be so impactful and so yeah that's that's probably the beginning of my of my kind of journey but 
the, the ways that it's transformed my life, I, I've had experiences since, and I'm sure you guys have as well, that have been so profound and so healing and have brought to the surface traumas and experiences and memories that I didn't even realize were there. And it blows me away every single time that you can access these states purely by breathing, purely by this kind of breath pattern that seems to just bring up whatever is, is ready to be processed. And it, it feels so healing and it's so accessible. And you don't need to go to Peru to drink ayahuasca. You don't need to um, necessarily pay hundreds of, do of dollars for a therapist. It's, to me, it's so empowering that everything we need to, to heal and to, like, to fix these traumas and these things that we haven't processed is already within us. And I think that in itself is such a, is such a powerful healing narrative. And everything that's, that's coming up in the world today, I think that we need something like this that is so accessible and is, is free. Like it, there's, anyone can access this with, with a safe space and with, with some, some good guidance. So I'm really excited for just to learn more and to, to kind of help shepherd this, what feels like something of a, a revolution that, that's coming. Hmm. So Johnny, the ability to, I think, deepen a breathwork practice is a function of teachers and, and just being open to listening and open to learning. And I think that's mm. an incredible quality that you're, you're showing very clearly here. And then I think it's also being given tools and recipes and ways of working with the breath and kind of customizing what works for you in your life. So let's start with the teachers uh, along the way and the, and the different people you, you've studied with. I think it's really interesting that your first breathwork teacher was actually your free dive coach or your free dive teacher. Mm -hmm. And I imagine there have been a string, actually, no, there have been a string of teachers that have followed. Can you walk us through the different teachers along the way and kind of what you've learned? Mm. Yeah, sure. So immediately following that experience with the free dive instructor, I I bought the book by Stan Groff, which was on holotropic breathwork. And that kind of really gave me a, a framework, I guess, and just, just some kind of context, knowing that this emerged from a, a scientist who essentially guided LSD journeys and that he developed this practice to create a similar set and setting for his, for his clients. Um, and then I'd say the first in-person teacher that I that I ever had was a guy called Ed Dangerfield, who I, you know, we, we've all spoken to and we've all um, practiced with. And he, I, I really resonated with his story and his journey because we both, we both went to British universities. We both studied economics. We both spent a lot of our lives kind of stuck in our heads and very disconnected from our emotions and from our bodies. And what I really resonated with his approach was his capacity to speak to both the, the scientific kind of clinical um, side of what was happening during these, during these journeys and framing breath work through the lens of, of, um, of trauma release and staying within your window of tolerance and what was actually happening on the level of the endocrine system and in, in terms of blood chemistry. And then also he'd studied with the Canadian elders and he had a very deep kind of reverence and understanding for the teachings of the four directions and um, kind of guiding spirit. And so it, for me, it was really powerful to see 
someone who could bridge both of those two worlds in a really in a really beautiful way um and he, he clearly just read a lot of, of, of the, the work of peter levine and, and stephen porge and and basil van der Kolk and experiencing his one-to-one um kind of guided breath work in which he you kind of go into his his clinic and he you lie on his table and he kind of asks you some questions to usually provoke and, and bring up some emotion and then he will use hand placements and and kind of guide you through the breath journey and, and for me that was that was again a very different experience of having someone there to to literally kind of help guide my breath to different areas of my body where I was tense or where the breath wasn't quite reaching and he, he very quickly kind of diagnosed um, what he called an overachiever breathing pattern, which was basically I would like fill my, my lungs full of, full of air. I have quite a big lung capacity and then kind of hold on to it. And it was this just bringing in energy, but then really struggling to let go. And it was interesting how he shared how that often will, will probably show up in my life. And it's very true. I will try and over effort in certain areas and struggle to, to kind of allow and to let things flow and to and to surrender into certain things and um, it's really interesting how he was able to map some of my breathing patterns onto patterns that will then tend to show up in day-to-day life and he was saying in some of our conversations that he can see through through the way that someone breathes and where breath doesn't doesn't go what kinds of experiences they will likely have had in their life and specifically what types of emotions they tend to repress. And so depending on which side of the body the breath is reaching to, whether if, if someone has a tense jaw, then there's likely going to be kind of stored anger there. Um, he, he's seen people relive their experiences of drowning or even being raped at, at a young age. And just to, just to hear those kinds of stories and to, to know that that kind of healing as possible um in you know like a 90 minute to two hour long breath journey this is this might be something that people might have struggled with their entire lives that just feels really profound to me and so that then led on to a a five day a five day breath journey with ed his other um co-facilitators jen and carmen and i really loved the way they held the space together and it felt to me like Ed was bringing the kind of more masculine aspect and Jen and Carmen kind of held the feminine and that that balance of the two and the way that whenever I asked the question Ed would tend to answer with his kind of scientific hat on like this is what's happening from the perspective of the, of the nervous system which would kind of appease my <clears throat> my rational brain and then Jen might add something from a more kind of spiritual perspective or a more spiritual lens and then Carmen would talk about things from a from a relational piece and and kind of how some of these breathing patterns might show up in our relationships to to others or to ourselves. so but at the same time I I feel like I'm I'm really just at the beginning of this of this journey and uh, there are many more teachers that I hope to study with. I think it's so fascinating how every breath practitioner brings in their own experience and um, sort of gives the gives the experience that then we have as you know the receiver or on the receiving end um, a certain uh, t- like a different sort of um, 
what's what's the word flavor <laughs> uh, in a way let it be mm. in terms of maybe a, maybe the more yin or yang energies let it be with you know the the traumas mm. that we've all experienced and i mean it's not that i mean most people i believe that come to breath work they've usually tried out a lot of things especially the ones that are that really go deeper and and especially the ones that then go on to become breathwork uh, practitioners or facilitators mm. or breath guides and um usually i i would think the ones that i've met they've they've you know gone through uh their their share of experiences and and many of them traumatic and so it's it is fascinating because i i've breathed with quite a few different teachers now and and phil and i we've been talking about you know what differentiates um breathwork practitioners at the at the end of the day and mm. i think yeah one way mm. is is that that those different energies yin or yang masculine feminine whatever um but then also their own personal experience um i feel like really mm. impacts the way that they work with people and um and the learnings that they've uh that they've experienced and the teachings that they've received and having worked with ed as well on a one-on-one -on -one basis in in bali i can totally attest to the intensely deep experience um it's more like breath therapy i feel like no it's not just like there's mm. And again, like I think we're we're trying to categorize and sort of label certain breath experiences because um, it's more than just a breath journey. I feel like when you're laying on on Ed's table, you know, it's like he touches you, right, and he guides you into mm. the experience. Mm. So. Um, hmm. I think I think it's so true, and I think there's a big part of you know that flavor that you're talking about. Connie is only able to come out if you just show up as yourself, both on the receiving and the giving end. So you know, as the as the facilitator, the best thing you can do is wear whatever you want, be yourself, and then those who connect with that energy and want to hear your experiences, and whose experiences resonate with you, will ultimately flock. You know, so you don't have to put on a facade. You don't have to dress up in a lab coat. You don't have to put on rosaries and, you know, different things. And then, yeah, as you said, I think there's a deep understanding of the human mind, the human body to help facilitate that experience. And then there's a therapy element too of like helping integrate it, being there to talk and listen, really just deeply listen to you and help kind of you as the, the breathwork participant or student, um, you know, just go through the experience and understand it and, and hear yourself reflect on it too. So it's like a boom, boom, boom of a few mm. different therapies all in one. <laughs> There's just so much to it. There's so many different <laughs> facets and aspects to the breath and then breath work and breath journeys and, and breath therapy. And like, it's, it's a lot more multifaceted than, than people think in the beginning. No. So. I also like mm. Johnny, how you, yeah. you, you tied in um, Carmen and, and her experience with relationships, because I think a lot of this is how you relate to yourself helps you then relate to others too. And it starts with loving yourself. It starts with understanding your relationship to yourself, your relationship to your breath, and then being able to go back out there and be a better partner, a better supporter, a better listener, you know, whatever relationship that might be. And so, yeah, I'm glad you raised that. I think that's such an important component. Mm. 
Yeah, and I think it's such an interesting question. I mean, we're all considering becoming, walking down this path of becoming breath facilitators, right? And the question of what is it that, that makes a really powerful facilitator is such an interesting one. And the more that I, the more that I think about it, the more that I think there are parallels between kind of shamanism and, and holding space for the breath. And I think that the, the spaces where I felt most hells, um, specifically with, with Ed and Jen and Carmen, were ones where I felt like I could completely, I was completely safe and I could completely relax and I could completely surrender. And I think that from their perspective, the, the, the challenge is really to kind of step out of the way and, and to not think that you're the one that is like doing the healing or doing the fixing, but you're just really allowing whatever wants to come through to come through. And I do think that to some extent, if you're holding space, you, you can only really hold space for people to go to depths that you've been to yourself. I, th I think it's, it's quite hard to, to be with someone who is going through a very, a very traumatic experience if you haven't also kind of plumbed those depths to some extent for yourself as well. Because chances are that you will be you might be triggered by whatever it is that they're going through and if if you're triggered as a facilitator and something's coming up for you it's going to be very hard for you to hold a safe space so i, I feel like there is a real necessity for anyone going into or, or looking to hold space in in terms of breath work um to kind of do that inner work themselves um whether it's through plant medicine or therapy breathwork obviously as well um so I, I feel like that is part of the the journey is kind of going through those heroes journey cycles for yourself and and being okay with kind of being in the darkness and, and also also for me there's a piece around not trying to not trying to fix other people's suffering and and, and almost viewing those witnessing those traumatic those those traumas coming up as like a gift for that person and almost helping them to go deeper and helping them to have more more faith that it will that it will complete and there's something that is is very hard about that because when we see someone who is you know crying or is is in some kind of pain we, we really want to make it stop because it brings up that same pain and discomfort in ourselves and so i think there's a real um there's a real art to letting someone go go through their own journey and trusting that it will it will resolve itself and it will complete itself and you just need to hold space for that to happen mm. yeah that's really yeah <laughs> i feel like you know also what you were mentioning earlier plant medicine and just how breath work in and of itself empowers us to become our own gurus to be our own teachers and to be our own healers at the end of the day and that's what i found so fascinating from the very beginning because I was just like, holy shit, I did, like, it's my breath. This is my breath. It's for free. I have it with me 24-7. And then I can lie down and breathe. And I mean, yeah, I can do this on my own. And I mean, I do like you do too. We have our own, you know, sort of pranayama uh, breath meditation routine. And, and then we do, you know, the one or two, whatever, how many sessions of, of a more transformational breathwork um, type a week. And, and so to, to be able to use our breath in so many different ways to influence our states 
and to influence how we feel and to, and, and without needing anything else from outside, like that to me is, is just magic. And like, even though, you know, we live in 2020 and we've, we have so many, so many things figured out, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and here we are coming back to the absolute basic functioning of our body. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there is something, I, I think that underlying piece that you touched on is, is that one of self-empowerment and for so many of us, we've kind of grown up feeling that when, when we're in, in some kind of emotional state where we're in, in a place of fear or we're, we're feeling, yeah, if, if we're feeling afraid or we're feeling triggered by something and our, our body is like in that fight or flight response, no one ever taught us that we have the capacity to consciously like downregulate that and return to center. And viewing these simple kind of breath recipes as as tools to to calm ourselves down it, it's so empowering that we don't necessarily need to like reach for maybe re <clears throat> some of us reach for alcohol or we, or we numb ourselves watching tv or, or something like that in the external world and just knowing that we have these tools that we can access to directly influence what we previously considered to be out of our control um both from the kind of the micro level from you know a day-to-day -day experience like there was an earthquake here yesterday and i afterwards I kind of did some alternate nostril breathing to just like calm myself down and knowing that that was available um is is so potent and it, recently there have been some some things surfing surfacing for me in, in relationship as well and knowing that when there's that emotional piece that I can feel close to the surface taking myself through a, a 90 minute breath journey to kind of help bring it through and help to complete it is just so is so powerful and it means that now whenever something like that surfaces i'm almost excited because i'm like oh this is going to be fun to, to dive into and to there's going to be something here and it's it's just making me more less afraid of of these things that i would have previously kind of run away I'm, I'm, i want to dive it a little deeper into this whole idea of when the window of tolerance because i think johnny you've, you've built up an understanding of a, a pretty big window of tolerance from from your lived experiences but this is a term that's kind of elusive to me at, at times of, of just mm. you know what is what is safe to be felt is a function of who's holding that container and what's being facilitated and, I, and i'm i'm down to sign up for anything it's like this feels like it might be out of my window of tolerance and you guys are there like i'll do it <laughs> But, but like, how do you, how do you understand just maybe kind of quickly um, unpack this idea of the window of tolerance and how does one step into a window of tolerance and kind of like build capacity to have a bigger window of tolerance? Cause I think you have to have a, you have to have a window of tolerance to be able to use these tools, especially mm. yourself. I think, I think that's an important piece of it. Mm. Yeah, it's, it, it's really interesting. And this is definitely something that I want to learn more about myself from my, my current understanding. Um, it, it was interesting. I remember Ed doing what he called a breath translation, where one of the, the participants would, would lie on the floor. They would start doing this conscious connected breathing. And then he would then kind of tell us what he was seeing through his lens. And there were times when um, I remember there was, there was a guy who was lying down and he would start breathing quite deeply. And you could kind of see his chest kind of rising. There was a lot more breath entering his system. And then he would start there were some like finger twitches at one point and Ed was like, 
he was basically gesturing that he was approaching his window of tolerance. And then he, he clicked his fingers the moment that he went out and you could see the difference in his breath. And the way that Ed described it was that he'd basically um, overloaded his system with more energy than it could take. So his consciousness just kind of like shot out of his body and he just became disconnected from the breath. So the breath was no longer connected. And it seems like the art of, of guiding breath in that way is to take someone right to their edge of the window of tolerance and then to hold them there so that they then feel safe to continue breathing in that way. And that's the way that your, your window literally expands and, I'd love to know how this is kind of correlated to our nervous system and, and how um, I presume it's connected to neuroplasticity and how um, we all think of our brains as being neuroplastic, but our, our nervous system is neuroplastic as well. And that it can kind of grow to, to hold more energy. And I, I feel this in meditation sometimes too. I feel like there is more capacity for me to run energy through my system um, in, in certain times, but it's, yeah, it's something that I find fascinating and I, I honestly love to learn more about. Mm, there's, oh man, I remember that <clears throat> time when I was uh, in Canada doing those two weeks with Carmen and Jen and Phil, you were there for the first week and then I did another week. And I remember having a conversation around the window of tolerance with, with Carmen and Jen because my struggle was that... Um, and that, that has been an issue for me for the longest time because I never really learned how to soothe myself, right? When I get into a really intense emotional state of sadness or fear or anything like that, um, I would just drift deeper and deeper and deeper into these emotions and I wouldn't be able to actually regulate my emotions, right? Um, and so then sometimes in journeys, I would then go really deep into them. And it was almost as though I was working myself up really hard. Um, at times, almost like it, it turned into like this crazy eight where you just, you're like, it's really intense. And, you know, it's almost like way out of my window of tolerance in a way. And, and then I would come down a bit just to come back up again. And, mm. and then um, Carmen and Jen would come over at times and work with me. And in the beginning, I felt like they were prohibiting me from fully having the experience that I thought I needed to process certain emotions until I understood, and when we then talked about it afterwards, um, until I understood that they were trying to keep me within my, my window of tolerance so that I can then learn to soothe and regulate myself without spinning out of control emotionally and get stuck in this cycle of just you know because then usually what then also happens is an emotion is then followed by maybe a memory or a painful thought and that triggers more of that intense emotion which is then you know and then another memory and then it just like goes round 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 whereas what the healing is 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 to learn how to go through these waves and make and that was the thing that's that stuck with me and that is my guideline during really intense breath journeys is that make the breath bigger than the emotion mm. and that in itself always keeps me in that window of tolerance and still make it a very healing um experience mm. uh, yeah <laughs> anyway so that is just so fucking powerful yeah um 
Shall we um, lighten it up a little bit maybe uh, with uh, a question around, which um, we briefly touched on, around breath recipes. And um, I think it relates a little bit more to like breath meditations, um, certain pranayama techniques or breath exercises um, that you talk about a lot, Johnny. Um, mm. It's something that I remember in that talk that you gave in Bali where I first met you. Um, where you spoke about, you know, uh, things like the espresso breath or the Dim Hof breath. And could you maybe share with us a little bit more about um, what, it, what are breath recipes and, and mm. how, how do you apply them? Yeah, absolutely. I think where this, where this came or where this first emerged for me was starting out a journey teaching meditation and having some kind of meditation clients and, and hearing over and over again that, people felt like their minds were too busy to sit down and meditate. And they just felt like it was impossible to sit on a cushion for even two or three minutes and, and, and kind of be calm. And so being quite techie and kind of having a bit of a nerdy background, there was a, a piece of software that I loved using called If This Then That, that basically allows you to create these, these recipes for connecting like web services that you use. And I love that idea of, of designing breathing techniques around the same kind of if this, then that framework. So I, I created this, this fun thing called if this, then breathe, with the idea being that if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling like monkeys are endlessly chattering in your, in your mind, then do this type of breathing. And one of the most powerful things that I learned during the yoga teacher training was the the effect of the or the differing effects of the the inhale and the exhale and just to just to simplify it for listeners having a, a longer exhale say twice the length of your inhale will be very calming and will activate your your parasympathetic nervous system and having a longer more intense inhale will activate your sympathetic nervous system and give you more energy so once you understand that kind of principle, you can start to design different breathing techniques that will induce different states. So what I called an espresso breath was um, basically a, a, a version of, of Wim Hof where you have a kind of a longer inhale, you hold the inhale in and you, and you let go, or there's another one called, um, which is a version of breath of fire, which is you know, very rapid exhales through the nose. So if I was to demonstrate briefly, it'd be like, <laughs> And even after 30 seconds, like you'll notice a difference. You'll notice um, maybe a feel like a, a slight tingling sensation, more kind of energy coming up to your, to your mind. You'll feel more alert, more awake. Um, it kind of clears away the cobwebs in your, in your mind. And then the, the counter of that, which I just named for fun, the Dimhoff breath, um, it's like the, the anti-Wimhoff, is basically just a longer exhale. And if you want to increase the calming effects, you can breathe in through your left nostril and then out through your right. And by breathing through your left nostril, you're not only restricting the, the flow of air, but you're also um, connecting and bringing oxygen to the right hemisphere, which is also associated with the parasympathetic nervous system, which just even adds to the calming effect. So if you're feeling really, really stressed out or it really can't relax or say you're, you're awake in the middle of the night and you want to sleep doing a few rounds of breathing in through the left for a count of four, holding for a count of four 
and then breathing out through the right for count of eight. So it's or, or three and six or five and ten. Then you will find pretty quickly within within a few minutes, your your state will feel a lot a lot calmer. And there's there's many you know there's there's almost infinite potential to design these different recipes. But I I think for me it it's helpful to know like these are the times when this type of breathing would really serve me. Mm, yeah, and I, I use them too, those recipes. It's really something that Phil and I, we'd probably call like microdosing breath work or microdosing breath, <laughs> um, where there's a certain situation. Let's say, you know, this example that keeps coming up because it's top of mind is when I went on a date a little while ago and I was really, really nervous and I walked to the date and then I used the 4-8 or the five ten breath to calm me down as I was walking to meet this woman. And uh, by the time I got there, I was super chill and super calm. And, mm-hmm. um, and it just really fucking works. And so um, we can, yeah, use the breath in certain situations to achieve certain states, which is fucking mm. amazing. That's, that's, that's so good. I, I did the same thing before my TEDx talk in Bali last year when I was freaking the frick out, like I was, my whole body was just like a flood of nerves. And within about five or 10 minutes, whilst like looking out over the, over the rice paddies, I was just so much, so much more grounded, so much cooler. Well, actually when I was um, a scuba dive instructor, so one of the first things that you learn uh, when you train to be a scuba dive instructor is that, because what can always happen is that people panic underwater, right? And you're like the number one rule is basically you, cannot shoot up to the surface when you are breathing air out of a tank at depth because it might you know potentially hurt you or kill you if you're far deep down and so and i've i've had panic situations actually underwater diving at depth at like 30 40 50 meters um Mm. which wasn't fun but uh the first thing that we learn is that is the deep breathing right and i don't know if you guys have scuba dive before but um it's something that's definitely stimulated by the the regulator um but that's how they teach you um when they you know any instructor teaches you to take really nice long deep breaths in and out and so the what we're taught is when there's a student that panics um is you know you take them and you 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 calm them down and you calm them down by helping them relax their breath because we cannot panic if we have a relaxed breath. It's basically impossible. And this one time uh, when I was diving at 50 meters and I had a panic attack underwater and I wanted to shoot the fuck back up to the surface, but I knew being an instructor, like that's just not an option right now. It would take me 20 minutes basically to get to the surface because you have to do these safety stops. And um so I had to calm myself down and I had to eat my own medicine, obviously. And that was to breathe very slowly and very, very deeply. And um, after a few minutes, I calmed myself down. I actually have it on GoPro. <laughs> I should probably <laughs> should look for that footage because um, that face did not look good. Um, but anyway, so it works and it's applied to um, let it be in diving, let it be, you know, free diving. Mm. The breath, uh, breath practices are applied and in so many other uh sports and 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 whatnot so yeah super fascinating yeah that that's that's such a great story and just to add to that briefly um i feel like there's there's a really strong connection between the the art of free diving and learning to free dive and kind of becoming more accustomed with the breath particularly the more kind of transformational breathing practices and 
how in both cases it's just a, an increasing practice of surrender and of learning to really let go and to and to sink in and to relax and with with free diving you basically want to become like a human jellyfish on the surface mm. when you're floating there you just want to relax every single part of your body every single muscle so that when you do take in that big breath you just kind of sink down and it's completely effortless and the deeper you go as the pressure increases it becomes harder and harder to equalize and so for me usually when i get to about 30 35 meters there's so much there's so much tension built up in my chest that it's impossible for me to bring air up from my up from my belly into my mouth to equalize and so i have to like stop and i have to kind of do this scan of my body and find out like okay which part of me is tense and can i relax into it even though my monkey mind is telling me that like i'm 35 meters underwater like it's a long way to the surface <laughs> and just really learning to to surrender i think is that has really supported me both in meditation and in breath work and i mm. think it's pretty most of my profound experiences and insights and realizations have come after some sort of surrender some sort of letting go and in jen and carmen's and ed's one of their circles there was this this insight that came to me that was like let go of the letting go it's like i was i was grasping hold of and struggling to let go <clears throat> and that in itself I, I was then then when i let go of that again this kind of wave of of calm and bliss kind of washed over me and <clears throat> i think that's something that a lot of us struggle with what's been for myself in this day and age is just that that process of surrender um to whatever's coming up and that also serves very it's very helpful in day-to-day -day life as well so funny how we try to push ourselves to let go <laughs> like and how that just doesn't work <laughs> right <laughs> surprise <laughs> yeah. um one of one of my favorite recipes as we're talking about this is is the box breath i've been using this and playing with it a lot it's it's an interesting one because you can kind of like secretly do it you don't have to be like making all these noises or like mm -hmm. you know you can kind of just sit there and do box breath and you can do two seconds three seconds um and i found it pretty interesting kind of you know a three a three second of each leg of for box breath is really different than eight seconds and you know, it's like very hard to work up to that, but I imagine there's an element of working up to a longer box breath that feeds into capacity and like breath retention. Kind of, I'm curious, Johnny, like if the box breath has been one of your recipes for free diving and just, you know, like these long, long breath holds. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, generally, the, the recipe that they recommend for free diving is, it's another shape. They call it the, the triangular breath, which is essentially a, um, a kind of short inhale and then a really long extended exhale. And I, I sometimes find that blowing bubbles or doing like a kind of an underwater like OM also adds to that calming effect. And I think that that, that increases the production of nitric oxide, which also has this kind of calming effect on our bodies as well. Um, there definitely is, um, it, it's definitely a process of, of training our nervous system and our lungs to not need as much oxygen. and that there's, there's a guy called um, Patrick, Mc, Patrick McCowan, I think his name is, who talks about the, the bolt score and how the bolt score, which is essentially our capacity to go without oxygen for a period of time. So he, he asks people to just like let out an exhale and then see at the bottom of the exhale how long you can go for without until you kind of need that gasp of air again. And 
if your if your score is over kind of 30 to 40 seconds then that has a lot of indications about your overall life the the chances of your your kind of um, longevity and, and lifespan and all of these other um, kind of factors that it feeds into and how training that part of our i guess our nervous system and our lungs to to go to, to need less oxygen is so beneficial for other areas of our health um but just and just one more thing i, I love the idea of like of like subtle breathing and it's it's almost like like ninja ninja breath recipes that you can do during the day like whether you're in the queue at the supermarket or like for me like riding the scooter around here like i like that idea of like infusing it into everyday situations where you might want to check your phone or something along those lines that's that's a really cool idea Mm. yeah i was um what comes up for me around that is also i was just talking to one of my uh teachers yoga teachers um who's also like my pranayama teacher yoga philosophy teachers and uh we're just having a casual chat the other day on zoom and um i was asking him a little bit uh about his pranayama practice and we're talking about retention and all that stuff and and his current practice and um, I guess where yogis um, aim at is to increase, constantly increase the, uh, or actually decrease the number of breaths that they take uh, per minute or even less than that, you know? And so I think he was saying he's currently practicing about 15 second inhale, 15, like if he was to do like a, uh, a box breath with, with alternate nostril breathing, 15 in, 15 hold, 15 out, 15 hold. Um, working that up to where you basically then only take one breath a minute um, and then 30, 30, 30, 30, or actually a breath every two minutes. So, and then increasing that um, to a place where, you know, some very advanced yogis, um, they can easily be in meditation only breathing every few minutes you know, taking mm. one breath or just very slowly in holding it and then letting it out slowly. And um, it's fascinating, you know, being a yogi myself and having studied yoga for quite a few years, it's that it's been around for so fucking long, you know, and like now the science is catching up and people are putting new names and labels and techniques, you know, on the, on mm. this whole system that's been around for so fucking long for thousands of years that, you know, it's, it's just now turning into something that now there's apps, right? And there's like yeah. all this stuff being developed. And um, uh, it's just so fascinating to always be reminded that this is not necessarily new. It's been around this whole time. And some yogis have, you know, really advanced <laughs> the practice um, really uh, in an amazing way. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that, that makes me think of... Um... I guess the way that, that someone like Wim Hof has, has almost branded a certain mm. breathing technique that was essentially the, the Tibetan practice of, of Tumo. And just through his story and through essentially effective storytelling, he's yeah. kind of really put it on the map and it's now exploded. And now most, you know, it's, it's almost like a fat, like a household name. People have heard of Wim Hof and Wim Hof breath. And <laughs> it really is just, I think it's, it's kind of storytelling and maybe, yeah these practices coming from someone that we can relate to or someone that we can aspire to be like um but you're completely right i think people have been doing these types of practices in parts of the world for 
thousands of years. Yeah. Well, it's like people think Wim Hof invented the Wim Hof method. It's just like, well, you just kind of put a couple of pieces together that have been around for thousands of years, put his name on it and call it a method, (laughs) (laughs) which doesn't discredit his work. And, you know, because, you know, yeah, and it's definitely the storytelling aspect of it and and how it's spread around the world and has done a lot of good to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. Well, and you put somebody in freezing cold temperature, like they're going to feel it no matter where their monkey mind's trying to go beforehand. So when you feel the story too, it's like, well, I'm kind of curious to dive into bringing breath work to places that really need it, Johnny. And I loved, you know, one of our conversations, you talked about the Vipassana documentaries, which were, um, a few documentaries I've seen before and I've practiced Vipassana been and it's like mind blowing to just see these changes that happen from introducing a really disciplined type of meditation to people who have gone through a lot in life and, you know, are often set in their ways, dangerous, you know, you name it, um, in prison. And I think there could be potentially an interesting opportunity to do something similar with the same, you know, the same populations of people, maybe it's a different technique or a different teaching style or a different, you know, amount of time. But, you know, maybe let's dive in that for a second. Like, can breathwork be be brought to people who've done really, really big and bad and scary things, i.e. people who are in prison? Um, how, how do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. And I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, this This idea or this thought emerged from a conversation with a friend of mine called Olivia and she'd been teaching authentic relating in prisons in Colorado and the connection just really kind of came to me that people who society have have locked up often more often than not for something that has been drug related whether it's it's dealing or, or taking those people are probably some of the most traumatized people in our society and it's likely that those early childhood traumas or ancestral traumas were what led them to do the thing that then ended up with them being in being in prison and from hearing stories and from, and from watching that i think it's called doing time is the vipassana um prison documentary and realizing that for many of these people you know they they say they feel so much guilt and so much shame and they struggle to kind of be in their own heads and so for for things like being in solitary confinement like that is incredible incredible punishment for a lot of these people because it's so hard for them to be in their own heads and i was thinking like what if we were to kind of think about transforming the the prison system so that it became a place where people could recover to some extent so that when when they'd served their time and when they were ready to to come back they could reintegrate and not have the same stored traumas that led them to to commit some of the some of the crimes and things they did in the first place and i don't know f- for me the the idea of somehow somehow facilitating breathing journeys maybe just for very small groups in the beginning for people who, who who are in prison just felt like felt like something that needed to happen and it almost felt like a responsibility i mean particularly I, i'm not american but i know the states i think there's there's more people there's enough people in the prison system that it would be like the third largest city in the country there's there's millions of people who are who are in prison and it just feels like such a such a, a an opportunity 
to bring something like the breath, which, which we know, we've all experienced this to some degree, we know can heal these really deep traumas and these really deep wounds. And it doesn't require, it doesn't require any money. It doesn't, it just requires time, which they have lots of. And so it was really just a thought that like this really, this really should exist. And, you know, thinking about like what that might look like or, you know, what some next steps could be. Mm. Oh, I'm so, I'm so interested in exploring that with you. Thank you for that, man. Awesome. Um, what about my dear Johnny, what's your current breathwork practice like on a daily basis or, you know, how often do you do transformational breathwork journeys? What does it look like? How do you work with the breath currently? Yeah. So, so I've been, I've been using a lot of the, um, meditations from my yoga teacher called Rod Stryker and he has an app called Sanctuary and he has kind of 30 to 60 minute long guided meditations of which the first I'd say kind of 40 to 50 percent is a breathing practice so this morning for example um, he, he kind of stacks different different practices to create a, a state that is conducive for meditation um, and, th and these are forms of, of Korean meditation and so for example this morning there was a um, beginning with the, the fire breath, so the kind of kapalabhati, like the, the quick exhale through the nostril, um, followed by breathing in through the left, holding and then breathing out through the right, in through the right, holding out through the left, and then kapalabhati and repeating that for about three or four rounds. Um, and from there, we then went into some chanting, which there've been a lot of other kind of scientific studies around vagal toning and, and things like that. Um, and by the end of the those reading practices and the, and the and then the chanting and then just being still there is this real presence and this real awareness that has built up and this this kind of energy in your in your midbrain and from there it's almost like you don't want to move you don't want to go anywhere the, the thoughts have just really calmed down and that's usually when I, I drop into meditation and and so, so that's what I've been really enjoying recently um and then on a, I'd say probably on, on about a weekly basis, I tend to go through a, a 90 minute long um, breathing journey. And for me, I just have, I have a couple of playlists that I've created on Spotify that are about 90 minutes long. And I will lie down, I will put in my headphones, I will put on an eye mask, I will get comfy and I will just kind of drop into the breath. And sometimes I do a short meditation beforehand as well, just to kind of, to kind of calm down and yeah, I've, I've really been enjoying just experimenting and, and playing with different amounts of different, uh, different degrees to which I'm inhaling and almost using the amount of breath as like a throttle for the intensity of the experience and noticing whenever I start to get the like the T-Rex claws, like the, the tetany, that is usually a sign that I'm, I'm not letting go enough. I, I'm holding on to something and just kind of relaxing into the exhale. And I have this visualization of kind of imagining like a, a white light at the at my pelvic floor and then as as I inhale as the wave of breath comes through it kind of moves up my spine to the top of my head and then back down again and just kind of going through that cycle gives my mind something to think about and usually about two-thirds of the way through um there's some kind of release or there's some kind of there's some kind of like dropping in and I always feel so much better afterwards like I've never I've never re regretted setting aside time to do a breath journey. Like the, my, my only thought is like, why do I not do this more? Like, I feel amazing. 
Yet sometimes like there's this resistance the to like lie down and oh. and just do it. Uh, completely, completely. Like tonight I want to do a session uh, and there's a part of me that's in resistance to it. <laughs> but mm. I know, because there's a million other things I could be doing, but I know that I want to do it. I know that I'm going to feel amazing afterwards, no matter what comes up in the session. And, but there's, oh, I don't know, it's weird with that. And I've, I've actually uh, had a few people write to me about the resistance to do these deeper breathwork sessions and how they can overcome that when there's a part of them that just doesn't want to do it. Mm, <laughs> what mm. would you advise them? Yeah, well, w one thing that's actually helped me, um, I noticed that when I signed up for one of Michael Stone's trainings, I was much more like committed to doing it. And it's, it's really simple, but just like, just having it on my calendar and like having a, a thing that like I've committed to setting aside this time for this, um, really helps me. So even if I'm not, even if it's not guided and I'm just guiding myself, like having that prior commitment of like, this is the time that I've set aside to do this because I, I know it's, I, I know I'll enjoy it. I know it'll be good for me. Um, that's definitely one thing. Um, I've, I've also been doing, I've done some breathing with my partner as well. And that's been really, really powerful. And I think it's, it's been a great way for us to kind of connect more deeply in some ways. And I've, I even did some where I was facilitating and kind of using different hand placements and holding space for her as she was, as she was going through the breath. And that's been a really, there's been some really powerful experiences through that as well. Um, Out of curiosity, uh, do you find that there is a difference as to uh, your experience um, when you do a breath journey on your own or uh, and with your partner or maybe on your own, but mm. like, or even in the group, but just where your partner is not present and then doing it with your partner? Is mm. there a difference for you? Yeah, I, I think, I think they're all different. I think particularly in the beginning when I was doing it with my partner, I was, there was, probably 15, 20% of my mind, especially in the beginning was, was thinking about her experience mm. and kind of like, is she, is she dropping in? Like, is she having an, you know, all of that. And so that obviously held me back from kind of really dropping in myself. Um, and I think that with, without a doubt, the most powerful experiences I've had were during that, um, the five day breath journeys with Ed, Jen and Carmen. And there was a certain potency to, the space and to have to breathing with other people and you know having them to kind of create the container and to, to set the intentions um those have without a doubt been my been my most powerful experiences um i think when i'm on my own i do sometimes struggle to really let go and, and there's always that thing of like especially in the beginning of like oh there's things i could be doing like i haven't yeah i've got emails that are, like, all that kind of shit <laughs> that like <laughs> just make it harder to to really let go and drop in um and and again maybe it comes down to during the training i'd like set aside okay for these five days i'm not going to check my phone i'm not going to look at email i'm not going to think that i need to be productive i'm going to really give myself the space to drop into this and surprise surprise that's when the big the big journeys happened um as opposed to when i'm when it's just me and it's like oh well you know there's there's less of there's less intention and less of a container i think mm. yeah, i was gonna say that too that's something that helps me as well as um and we've been playing around with kind of like pre-journey post-journey like little meetups like mm. uh there's like a little sunday breathers whatsapp group that's growing 
to, you know, but it's a small group of friends mm-hmm. where we can kind of say, Hey, you know, we're getting on this friend's joining and, and like there's this desire to be present in that group to help the new friend understand, you know, cause Michael just does an amazing job creating this big container for a lot of people. And if you can complement that with like a small little container of friends before or after, that's pretty powerful. And then it's kind of a commitment for me to want to show up and 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 help that new friend or you know whoever that that person might be um, understand the journey and just offer from, from my experience this is what might happen or this happened here's from my experience how I integrated that I think yeah making it about more than me adds some accountability and some. Mm just motivation for 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 doing it because the the resistance that i feel is constant i'm always having stuff come up and i'm like no we'd kind of love to just turn this off i can easily just hit leave (laughs) meeting right now and have this end i guess one more thing i'm curious about and i mean i i know uh, maybe half of it but um how are you and how are you planning to integrate breath work and the breath into your work um and uh yeah if you want to share a little bit about that i mean we're Mm. working on something together as well um Mm. i was listening to your your recent interview with michael stone um on the scooter two days ago and as he was speaking i had these uh eric godsey calls them truth bumps and it was like this real visceral feeling that this is what i'm being drawn to and that I i think in a few years from now, I feel like breathwork will in some capacity be a, a big part of where I'm spending my time and my energy. And I think what really, what really excites me is both the aspect that we touched on earlier on around breathwork meditation and, and journaling as well, being very empowering practices that basically help us remember that we have all of the wisdom within us and that we don't need to to always be seeking answers from from books or from mentors or from like successful people and I, and I think that the experiences that are possible particularly during the transformational breathwork practices really help to drive that home when you start to get these insights and these downloads that are seemingly coming from nowhere but they're, they're actually just coming from your own inner guide and your own inner wisdom so I think that's that's something that I'm really passionate about sharing the other piece is I so I, I'm I'm passionate helping people to overcome depression and anxiety because that's how I lost, I lost my partner two and a half years ago to who suffered from bipolar. Um, she took her own life. And part of me thinks that, <clears throat> you know, if, if we'd, if breathwork had been more widely known about and people who are, you know, the, the millions of people in the world at the moment who are suffering from various mental health conditions, I, I truly believe that, the majority of them or many of them can be treated or 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 at least helped in a big way through breathwork practices and so for me i'm interested in in both combining breathwork with other modalities and with support groups with meditation with with journaling with things like that i think that is a that is a big piece and also kind of taking people on longer breathwork kind of journeys where the, the, the breath is kind of like the tool to access the thing. So maybe dropping in a question in the beginning that is really relevant or really alive for you right now and using breath as a means of surfacing that, surfacing those insights that are there, but they're just kind of slightly under the surface. And 
there's a number of directions this could go and I'm not I'm not attached to any way that it will it will turn out but it just feels to me like this it, the popularity of breathwork is, is almost rising in at the same level as the amount of, of like shadow and the, and the crises that we're seeing unfold in the world and it's like it's it's kind of that the light is kind of these tools are coming to us as we need them the most and, and as these things are becoming present it's like okay this is an opportunity for us to to really work through this and to potentially heal some of these these traumas that might have been literally stored in our dna for generations Mm. and it feels it just feels very exciting and and i think speaking personally i feel like some of the experiences that i've been through in the last particularly the last couple of years have given me a capacity to whole space for just challenging emotions and so i'm i'm excited to both increase my own capacity in that regard and to to really see what's possible and and like michael said like be part of people spreading this and 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 sharing these tools and, and ultimately training people in the future as well like that's what that's what really excites me and there is so much that is unknown about it as well particularly from a scientific point of view and I want to learn more about that and potentially be part of some of the some of the research that help makes it more credible and therefore helps it kind of land with more people. Yeah, it's so funny with the whole science thing, you know, it's like our fucking Western brains need the fucking science to make it more powerful for us <laughs> and that we buy into it. And that right, it's right. like, you know, the um, fell Alex Sook, you know, who we had uh, on the podcast a few episodes ago. He was, and I think we posted one of his quotes on our Instagram. It was kind of like, just lie down, you know, I'll teach you how to breathe. Just do it. Start breathing and then see what happens and then we'll speak afterwards. It's kind of like, just shut up. <laughs> you know, um, you'll see that it works like the, you know, but yeah, of course our Western brains are just so addicted to having explanations and, but it's true though. I mean, when you look at meditation, one of the reasons why meditation has become so big is also because there's been more research around it. And when there's more research, then mm. it's in more magazines and in more newspapers and in TV and whatever. And so more people talk about it and then more people believe in it. And then it, you know, becomes mainstream. And so mm. that's the world we live in. <laughs> but like I said, the yogis didn't fucking care about the science. They just started breathing, you know, and, and saw that it worked. <laughs> well, and, and I think there's just a big piece that we're kind of touching on here, which is the awareness of the breath. And, you know, when people start realizing it doesn't matter if I'm swimming or jogging or doing this other form of activity, like the breath is front and center of that. And, and, oh, wow, like breath is driving this, this physical form of activity. (laughs) You know, the idea that I just have right now is having been to several of Dr. Joe Dispenza's live uh, retreats and seminars, um, and that go on for like a week or so. And he w- he does his own research, right? He's like, um, no one's researching what I'm doing. So I'm just gonna do my own research. And so during mm. his retreats, uh, you as a participant, you can sign up to be part of their scientific studies. And he mm. has doctors there and researchers there and they do all the tests and all the things. And 
um, and I participated as well. And so I was just thinking, you know, to eventually one day we'll get these, you know, we'll grow these groups of people that we get together to breathe together, and eventually we can do our own research. Mm. You know? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, just like I would, I would love that. Yeah, and I, I've been thinking along similar lines. I listened to an interview with the founder of Muse, the Muse headband recently, and they've started incorporating tracking the breath as part of their, their biofeedback. And I, I vividly remember a conversation with Ed where he talked about, he, he was beginning to map different breathing patterns to different traumas and different repressed emotions. And I love the idea of, in a kind of scientific setting, creating this kind of cartography of the breath and sh and showing people like if you've had this type of experience then chances are your breath is going to be blocked in these ways or this is how it will show in your breath and and i feel like that would just be such a such a fascinating contribution to like the healing world that just by lying someone down and observing the way that they breathe you could derive inferences about the experiences they've had the patterns they likely express in day-to-day -day life and and be able to hopefully like help them to bring breath into that area and, and, mm. and keep trauma and well, mm. something like that as, as like a starting point i think would be would be fascinating totally because it then you know maybe one day we'll have general practitioners doctors who would not just prescribe you painkillers but you know a certain breathing exercise regime yeah I, I i i truly i truly think that there will be like specific like breathing clinics that pop up all over the world where people like ed are, are leading and people will like walk in and lie down for two hours do a do a guided breathing and and walk out and feel a thousand percent better i i think that will exist within five to ten years i'm, I'm sure of it mm. on my vision board i have a uh, and that came up to me months ago. I have um, breathworks, uh, breathwork studios in in all the big cities all over the world. Yeah. Where it's just yeah. like there are yoga studios. There's get you know. I want to have breathwork studios. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, or, or to begin with, maybe it's just a partnership with like a yoga studio, mm. like Line, and and twice a week they do breathwork, and yeah. like that's that's how it begins. Um, yeah. yeah, completely. Still well, so much potential there. <laughs> I, I just think what I get really excited about one piece of this, and I think an interesting starting point are, are the onboarding forms, you know, that we typically have to do when we go to doctors and with breathwork, it's like lie down, breathe for five minutes, trend, breath translation, tons mm -hmm. of information, you know, maybe it's not five minutes, maybe it's longer, but like, there's a reason that with breathwork, you don't fill out the whole crazy number of forms. I mean, there's obviously contraindications and things that people have to be careful about, but by sitting there and breathing with somebody who's really experienced and has seen all these patterns, like you give all the information, you don't even have to try to remember it. You don't even have to try to write it down. You don't have to try to call it anything. It's just see how you breathe and see what moves through your body. And that's a lot of information. That's like half an onboarding form just there. So I get excited about just, yeah, especially if there's, you know, mapping and different studies. And I mean, we can get a lot of mm. information that shortcuts, saves a lot of time, I think, for people who mm. are running around to all these different doctors trying to fill out all these different forms. I'd figure out what's wrong instead of just breathe and see what comes out and, you know, have that as an interesting data point. Yeah, completely. And, and then the nerd in me goes to like imagining um, having some, some AR or um, AI based software that uses a camera to kind of analyze the breathing patterns and then map it to this database of, of other breathers and then give the facilitator real time feedback of like, okay, 
this is likely what they're you know what what's coming up for them and, and what they've been through and and having that database of like different ways that people breathe um i don't know i could imagine that being so powerful mm. and also of you speaking of breath clinics i was just thinking of the effects that i've experienced after the two weeks of that initial breathwork practitioner training in Canada this year and how two weeks of breathing of three hours of breathing every single day really, really helped heal my gut issues like nothing mm. did before. Yeah. And so I'm just thinking of, you know, where people would go on these like breathing retreats and these like clinics or retreat centers or whatever for two mm. weeks or a month and where they breathe every day, you know, for several hours and, and, you know, maybe get other treatments and stuff like that. Like that sort of shit. Mm. Yeah. And, and just one more thing that came up for me. Um, there was a guy that reached out to me via email who he'd been on a, a psychedelic retreat and some things had come up that just left him feeling really raw and really vulnerable. And he wasn't really sure how to integrate and how to kind of continue moving through his life in a normal way. And he, he was looking, he was asking me if I knew someone who did like underground MDMA therapy. And I, I said, I didn't, but speaking from my own experience when I'd been through a, a plant medicine ceremony where the space wasn't held very safely and I felt just kind of screwed up after like afterwards the next few days it was self-guided breath work that helped me shift that energy and helped me move through it and helped me to kind of return to normal and so imagining breath is also a way for like integrating other kind of like psychedelic or other kind of healing related retreats as well I could see that being just really helpful um, totally. An, a, another use case. Mm. Mm. Anti-addiction, all sorts of applications. Mm. Yep. All the things. It's wonderful to be respectful of everybody's time. Um, this has been amazing. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us for a bit, talking all things breathing. Um, is there anything, Phil, that you still want to ask or anything you want to share still, Johnny, that we didn't touch on or... There's always about 500 more things on my mind to talk to Johnny about, but uh, it feels good to land the plane here and um, look forward to so many more conversations, Johnny. Really appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. And I'm just excited to be you know, talking to you guys about this stuff as well and, and having two people who I feel like are equally curious and excited and interested in where this is all going. And mm. um, yeah, I, I sense that there will be many, many more conversations to come. So let's plant the flag here. Yeah, maybe you should be a regular. Um, where where can people find you, Johnny, if they want to get in touch with you, um, connect with you, or just follow your work? Sure. Um, so I have a podcast called Curious Humans, um, and there's an episode with Ed Dangerfield on there as well, who, if you're interested in breathing, I would definitely recommend checking out. Um, and then my website is johnnymiller.co, and there's links to social media and my email and everything on there as well. Wonderful. Thanks, Johnny. The Edward Dangerfield episode was the very first vo time I heard your voice, Johnny, and I was like, oh my gosh, I love this episode. I love this guy. I want to <laughs> meet him one day. Uh. Awesome. Thanks, y'all.